You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1985 classic Stephen King adaptation, Silver Bullet. Bing! I thought you were going to say kapow. Have you ever fought, uh, fought, have you ever shot a high caliber weapon before? Like a shotgun? I, I, yeah. shot, a, I shot a shotgun with a slug in it. That was crazy. I've shot um, a fifty caliber round out of a fucking hand cannon, and it was the loudest thing I've ever fucking... I've never shot a handgun, because those are ridiculous, and I don't even know anyone that owns one of those. Well, no, that's kind of a lie. I probably do. But, I mean, I I don't... I've never touched one, and mm. I don't ever want to. Mm. Oh, it's intoxicating. The first time I ever fired For you, the first time I ever fired a handgun, I was like, oh, I can see why this is so popular. <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah, goes boom, things explode. It does, and I, I can see, like you know, with this story, how it's like you know, a kid that that has a lot of things cut from him in life, and he's a real big fan of fireworks. Mm. Hand him a gun. He's yeah. going to dig that, too. But, I mean, exactly. it was all about necessity, right? You don't need legs to shoot a gun. No. no. You really don't. Uh, this is the second film in our Stephen King-a-palooza. So, I'm excited because this film, Silver Bullet, is a first for us. It is. It's and a werewolf movie. It's a werewolf movie, and we need to do more werewolf movies. And we're going to do uh, Company of Wolves, and we're going to do Waxwork, and we're going to do Howl, and we're going to do American Werewolf in London. Uh, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, did you like um, like Dog Soldiers? That was a cool oh, I one. love Dog Soldiers. That's we a- watched that not too long ago um, because there is, you know, like. How it's tough to find a, a decent copy of it, and the film doesn't exist anymore. So all there is is this really badly colored version, and all that. So me and Chris had watched what is the the best version that he could find mm. on the planet. Uh, I love that fucking movie. That is a great damn movie. Yeah, that's a good film. I like that a lot. Um, you hit something uh, that is a common comment. That I get from a lot of horror fans. I don't know if you've heard the same thing. Not a lot of werewolf movies. There's not enough werewolf movies. There's not enough werewolf movies. There's not enough werewolf fiction, by and large. And I thought that that would be the next one. Talking about, like, okay, now that we're done with sexy vampires, where are we going to go next? Sexy uh, werewolves? We went kaiju. That's where everyone seemed to go. It very, And you're right about that. Uh, but, no, it's time for lycanthropy. It's time for werewolves to make their resurgence. There's a couple of reasons why I think that werewolves don't flourish the way that their counterparts, vampires, do. Mm. I think it has everything to do with pulling off a werewolf in a film and making it look convincing. And we can talk a little bit about 
how we feel about how convincing the werewolf looks in Silver Bullet. I know a lot of criticisms about this film is that they don't really like the way that the werewolf looks. I don't have a problem with it personally. Yeah, for its time, I think it's fine. Yeah, me too. I believed it when I was little. I thought it was the coolest goddamn werewolf I had ever seen in my life. (laughs) Really. But, you know, you're going to go one of two ways. You're going to go, it turns into a wolf. It's mm-hmm. a wolf. They get a fucking dog. And yeah, that like, is like Wolfen or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or that TV show with all the scars guards and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you're going to go Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps, right. yeah. And it's not really a wolf at all. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, or or it's something that looks more of akin to some kind of hellhound because I wouldn't say that the werewolf in the howling looks like a wolf. It looks like a fucking furry demon yeah. thing with the long ears and it's so big. It's huge, right? Uh, and um, waxwork that pointy-eared look. I love that because you know Me too. wolves have big pointy ears. If they just mm-hmm. have little tiny nubbin ears, like a little little baby pug or yeah. something, that's no. <laughs> Seems cuter and less threatening, less demonic, less something from hell. When I used to draw werewolves in school, because I drew in class too, little known fact, mm. learning lots about Lydia today, <laughs> that I, I it would be like the werewolf from Waxwork or the werewolf, the, some of the werewolves in this. And the Bernie Wrightson illustrated the Stephen King cycle of the werewolf kind of graphic novel before graphic novels were such a big popular thing i wanted to ask you about this uh, particular copy of this book did stephen king release any other books that were in this format no uh yes based no not really eyes of the dragon had illustrations and it was a very short okay. um story as well but this is really the only one that was really like that i guess if you want to count creep show because it was a pretty text-heavy comic, mm-hmm. but another uh, Bernie Wrightson mm-hmm. uh, thing. And those are the only things I would have ever known the man from. Because I'm not a Swamp Thing girl, and mm-hmm. I only know that through osmosis, sitting across from you every couple weeks. <laughs> that's the only way I know this man's name because it's that's not the sort of thing that's interesting to me. But the illustrations in this particular book haunted me. I had taken this book out from the library when I was a kid, out of our little sleepy calendar public library at that, the North Hemsworth Public Library. And these illustrations totally haunted me. I used to turn to the one with the slaughtered pig heads on sticks mm. and just stare at that. There are there are uh, pieces in this book that really remind me of as if I were reading a, a fairy tales children's book, particularly some of the uh, scenery. If you're just looking at, like, I feel almost like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the illustrations uh, for for like Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, or or and you would notice like the Christmas scene, very Courier and Ives. Exactly, and except there's like these intense horror elements into it because Bernie Wrightson uh, really cut his teeth when the resurgence of horror comics came back from in the uh, in the early to mid 1970s, where horror comics kind of came back, and uh, you know, and he was doing all kinds of stuff. And um, and I believe he did stuff for heavy metal and and, and sort of like those magazine format mm-hmm. big style uh, uh, horror and science fiction books and so so it makes absolute sense that Stephen King and and this would have been after Creepshow correct because um, Creepshow was uh, the book was in the early 1980s and 
this came out in 1983. So I think this actually was after Creepshow. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense why King would be like, oh, I want to put some pictures in this. And I worked with Bernie already. So, yeah. And he was, Stephen King was a huge comic book kid to begin with. Exactly. So he would have pounced on this particular person to do illustrations, right? I had no idea that this was the format of this book. And it's absolutely gorgeous. These images are, are, are beautiful. And I could imagine, you know, Chibi Lydia just losing herself in these oh, yeah. pictures. Uh, especially... Uh, like the pigs of that shot of the werewolf with the snow coming down. I'm like this. I want a fucking. I want this on my wall. There's the picture of um, a church full of werewolves yeah. snarling over the pews, and uh, like it yeah. is Im- immaculately envisioned by Bernie Wrightson. The story itself is magical because it takes place over the cycle of the werewolf. Mm. It doesn't share a title with the movie, and that's reasons why we'll we'll discuss the differences between the book and the film but cycle of the werewolf goes month by month so you could make a calendar of these illustrations Mm -hmm. and there's interstitial illustrations as well uh before each month so it's a black and white almost woodcut looking Mm -hmm. line art pen and ink style piece along with full color panels and Mm -hmm. it's it's fucking beautiful and i will correct myself from last week i was talking about where i had acquired this book i swore that i picked it up in pa that me and chris found it in a second and charles wrong mm. chris bought it here at black squirrel books before we moved and before he moved and left it here because our bookshelves would be combined eventually mm-hmm. so it actually came from here in ottawa at black squirrel uh-huh. and double thanks to chris because we watched his blueberry copy of silver bullet yeah so this was like a this is this was uh sponsored by chris oh completely so go <laughs> listen to bind torture cast and run hide kill you know there's no fucking werewolf video games either and that's something that he's been just waiting for one a good one and he is the big werewolf fan in this house but mm. i have a real affinity with this particular this particular book right so speaking of comic books i just wanted to take a quick second uh, you know you guys always know that uh teresa is always coming around the bend uh, we're taking this week off but by the time this episode airs there'll be a, another uh, edition of teresa i was very busy i wasn't able to write my pages because we had a very big announcement for me is that my next uh, comic was officially announced. Uh, you might have seen this on the Facebook and the Twitter, but mostly where I saw it was Facebook. Yeah, I had it on Facebook, and it was free for me to announce at the very least uh, some elements of it. But the book is coming out this fall. It's called Aurora, and it will be a graphic novel. And it'll be a Kickstarter thing. It's fantastic to see your name on the cover like that, though. (laughs) In such good company. And from what I've seen of the art... It looks fantastic. The 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 artist that worked on it is the is a woman named uh, Georgia Spazito, and she is absolutely incredible. I've seen a lot of the pages already, um, because this was the, one of the most intense writing projects I've done, and it was just a whole lot of stress and pressure and. Uh, I'll talk more about it as the book gets released and and stuff because uh, it's only a few months away. But I mean, we're talking like ink still wet script, and pages are fucking being made. That's fantastic. It's crazy because it just it took me 
a long time to write it. So October is going to be cool because we both have had some writing pressure lately mm-hmm. leading up to October releases. Yes. The Wicked Library. You know, you can go and check out my past stuff, but I'll be all about that in October. Mm-hmm. And that is when the Aurora book comes out? Yeah, okay. you will be able to... Uh, at the very least, the Kickstarter will launch. Fulfillment okay. will probably be... Uh, December of that year so it could be you know in time for Christmas but like yeah no and I'm pretty sure by the time this um, episode airs there will be a larger advertisement uh, I've seen some of the the new advertisements that they're gonna be because I know that um, uh, Sora Sung who's the person the that's um, presenting this whole thing that's it's it's the like brainchild the brainchild the brainchild of she was uh, the one that came to me and said like I have this idea do you want to write it and I was like okay uh, she has already um, she's going to be making some major announcements at her next convention so I'm pretty sure once uh, her last very successful Kickstarter that fulfillment is going out soon and once that is done then it's full steam ahead on Aurora and everyone will get to see all the cool stuff that. Um, isn't it crazy when you, you got stuff coming out, you know you got stuff coming out, and you're just sort of like in that space where you're just sort of decompressing after the stress of pushing something out, like like birthing twins or something. Yeah. And then you sort of have that like, you know, bubble of nothing around you for a bit where you have nothing that you're really creating like that, quite like that. Mm-hmm. Or if you are, something that's like a little more fun, uh, but you can't really talk about it. But then you can sort of just glean on what the overlords of the project are, are allowing out. So you can sort of parrot that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, for now, we don't have much news on Aurora, except that we will have news on Aurora. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I, I can put it to you this way that, um, I can I I'm, I can't tell you if you'll like it or not. I can tell you I've never worked harder on anything though. Ah, I like this. <laughs> So like it's it's really like so if y'all don't like it this is literally the best I can do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that and just keep your eye on my social media because obviously as things get released I will let you guys know. And when the Kickstarter drops, when I have an official date on that, like I will be promoting it ad nauseum. So ah, promotion nauseum comics. <laughs> Mm. I've always loved werewolves uh, and werewolves in cinema uh, in particular. Obviously, like, people know that the 1941 Universal Classic Universal did one in 1913 that actually uh, obviously predates that based off of uh, called The Werewolves, which was based off of the um, what was it, 1898 story, The Werewolves. Um, so werewolves in cinema, like ag- again, not as prevalent because if you even go back into the silent era of horror, there's a lot of vampire films, lots that have been lost, but they're still record that they did exist. And after 1941, and everyone kind of fell in love with, uh, you know, the Larry Talbot character and, and werewolves became a big thing. They had like this boom and then they went away for a while, but when practical effects caught up to it, and then you had two massive werewolf movies in the night in the early 1980s, and that carried over. And so, in the 1980s, werewolves were kind of back, but again, compared to even just vampire films that came out in the 1980s, 
Not as many. And I still think that it, we are talking budget. We are talking, how do we put this on film? But then it doesn't really explain why then in literature, because if you, you can write a page with a vampire on it just as easily as you write a page with a werewolf on it. No, true. And, and you look at some of the werewolves and things like Howl, which are really great looking and then dog soldiers, really great looking werewolves. And it doesn't look like they went through like astronomical amounts of effort yeah. to do this. They just particularly as like when effect studios in the 1980s were rock stars they were the people that were you know it, 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 you know people wanted to like go to the movies because stan winston did the special effects like it had shifted thanks to a lot of like horror periodicals like fangoria and shit mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. that really put these guys on the map so it would seem that people would really want to do it but like so let me ask you this as a writer do you feel like it's harder to tell a varied stories with werewolves than it is some vampires because you wrote vampire fiction or you writing currently. I have, and so. I'm actually the first full fledged short story I wrote that wasn't Care Bear fan fiction <laughs> was a werewolf story. Really? And it was a werewolf widow, and it was really fucking good. You know, to toot my own horn. You're allowed to toot. I love people who toot their own horns. Fuck I, yeah. I've, I've often wanted to rewrite that story. It just hasn't come about. But uh, and it's not that it's hard. And it's not that it's hard to be unique. I mean, you look at some of the people that are tackling unique werewolf fiction now, like Mm. Stephen Graham Jones. I haven't read Mongrels yet, and I Mm. keep meaning to, uh, because apparently that is a coming-of-age werewolf story Mm -hmm. uh, I really do need to get to. Or, like, recently I had done, and I spoke about on the last episode on uh, typical books, I talk about this all the fabulous beasts by priya sharma Mm. and there's a lot of stories in there that have to do with other animals and there are stories in there that have to do with shapeshifters so you can do very unique where animal Mm. stories Mm. um and just fill in the blank with with whatever and i don't want to give away any of her work but there is a story that has something to do with something like that and so there can be like a lot of stories that are disguised as a werewolf story right um and like it's just totally eluding me right now, but there are other. There's a story specifically that I have in mind. I just can't think of it. Maybe it'll come to me later. But then there's other like twists on the very plain werewolf story. Like there's a werewolf terrorizing somebody for some reason, mm. and then you make it about the elderly, like mm-hmm. late phases, yeah, where everyone is blaming it instead of like a let's scare Jessica to death thing. It's like oh, dad's got a bit of dementia, thinks he's seeing werewolves. <laughs> like that sort of story, and I like the werewolves in that movie too. I come yeah, to think of it, that's a good flick. Yeah. But it's not—it's not hard. I think that it's just not as glamorous. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think that sort of uh, people can always think of vampires as so cool. Either you do the frilled cuff vampires, or you do leather trench coat vampires or however you want to do a punk vampire or if you do them as ravenous beasts which is the way i like my vampires they're really close to fucking werewolves anyway agreed um i think that people have a hard time with werewolves maybe because of the fact that um it's so bestial and 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 they it's hard to do like you can't do a frilled cuff werewolf or maybe you could i'm not saying like don't put brand cuffs on yourself guys if you want to write a frilled cuff poofy uh, werewolf that becomes perhaps more sophisticated well there you go there's an idea for your for your next work 
There you go. Yeah. It's like this is a very a, a guy who's actually a degenerate, almost like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Except he becomes like sophisticated when he becomes a werewolf. But then he's like, I'm a werewolf. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I just am always curious because it seems like something that people want. They, they horror fans in particular seem to all agree. I've never heard a horror fan say like, "Oh, I fucking hate werewolves, more <laughs> vampires." Yeah, but it just seems we got super fatigued with vampires and zombies. So true. I've seen, I've heard people say things like they're really tired of them, and sick of them. Not that they hate them. Yeah, but you could, how can you hate a concept, especially one that is so tantalizing? And mm-hmm. that inner beast thing, I think that it speaks to a masculinity that people are trying to push down and suppress, specifically on Twitter. And I'll bitch more about Twitter later. But <laughs> for now, um, yeah, this particular story really really captured my imagination much like most Stephen King stories and it's really what spurred me on to be a writer so Mm. it's weird to me now that I mentioned like why I haven't rewritten that initial story or why I haven't written other werewolf stories and why other writers we should all be questioning ourselves writers and Mm -hmm. all writers of comic books Wes (laughs) yes really yeah you gotta make this frilled cuff werewolf story yeah i I mean i'd be interested to do that but i feel like maybe that might be for somebody else because like i also would want to do like a long ears of savage werewolf story but it's hard to do that unless you just go for the old route of like oh well it's tragic it's tragic because this person doesn't have control of it although in this film this has a really fucking cool take on that where you combine your religious fanatic type character who has then in turn justified themselves and has taken their lycanthropy through this religious prism, which I think is fucking fascinating. That scene on the bridge with him is fucking really cool. There's a lot of things in this film that are different from the book that make it have so many more dimensions where in the book i thought the the number one thing to applaud with cycle of the world that stephen king had accomplished was there is a thing that is on two legs that ought not be and there's a thing that ought to be on two legs that can't and the two things are, are budding and it's just kind of a surreal feeling and that is a very simple boiled down version of this kid in a wheelchair versus a thing that can walk that shouldn't and it feels like such a basic struggle. But the movie, yeah, elevates it. And he wrote the screenplay, so I think it's having a, a chance to do a do-over. Is that what people call a mulligan? Is that a mulligan? A mulligan is a do-over, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I hate golf terms. It's like right up there with all the other sports to me. But he kind of had that chance to be like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to pepper this in, pepper this in. It's like post-editing. He gets to edit a final copy, which is crazy. So he did a really good job with weaving in a bunch of extra stuff and making it so much more dynamic for the screen. Having to compress a story from 12 months in a murder every full moon to a matter of July to October. The religious angle works interestingly in the movie because in the movie, of course, the Reverend knows what he is. In the book, he does not. And we've Mm. just given away the entire end. So, spoiler alert. 
Uh, yeah, we did give away the end because it's a bit of a whodunit like many werewolf stories can be. But I would point out that a lot of really famous werewolf stories usually are the perspective of the person afflicted with it. You know, you, I was bit by this thing. What's happening to exactly. me? Exactly. You, know, yeah. you know, 1941's The Wolfman or American Werewolf in London. These are like really big werewolf films. Howling, you, you, you don't know who the werewolf is at first. No, no, you don't. But it's it's sort of like you you know that they're a werewolf, sort of, but you don't believe that he's there. I don't yeah. know how to describe what the whodunit is there, but you're right. Most of them are whodunits, or what the hell is that creature? Exactly. And it could yeah. be a bear, but oh my god, it's a werewolf. That's double crazy. Mm-hmm, that sort mm-hmm. of fun. Was story. this was this Stephen King story your first Stephen King story? No, it has the look and feel of Baby's first Stephen King story, doesn't it? It would be because my was this your first werewolf story? Uh, no, it couldn't have been because I'd have written that story well before reading Cycle of Werewolf. Mm. I was probably told werewolf stories, and I always thought of Little Red Riding Hood much like a werewolf story, right? In, in a certain way, because that wolf talked. Most wolves don't. But true. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what my first werewolf story would have been. My first werewolf book? You can thank R.L. Stein for that. It was oh, okay. The Werewolf of Fever Swamp. Ah. Yeah. Cool, cool. That would have been the first, like, dedicated, this is a werewolf story. Not the first time I encountered the, the monster of werewolf, because that book was published in 1993, and I would have been almost 10 years old at that point, so. I don't know. I remember reading this from the library i must have read other werewolf stories because i was very stoked about it It wasn't the first time that i had encountered that but i also read a lot of like those books like ghost vampires and werewolves of lore and yeah like would read all these old tales and like do research as best as i could between the three libraries at my disposal about like the origins of these things right so my uh brother was really into vampires and werewolves because he was really into that role-playing game that they based all those uh, underworld movies off of yeah, what the was one it? i played yeah yeah um he was super into that and so i was that really captured my imagination the idea i remember the the, the, the first time it was like vampires fighting werewolves oh my god so i'll bet you he knows baddie von bats because baddie had who it has a podcast if you want to listen to yeah. bat versus cat talk about industrial music and goth culture mm-hmm. then that's a podcast for you um but he had run the um, World of Masquerade. Vampire the Masquerade. Masquerade. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had run those games here. So mm. I'll bet you your brother knows him. Yeah, man. My brother was super. It had all the fucking books and it was crazy. But so, uh, so like, I, we were really steeped in it. And, and it's funny because my brother is not someone that I would define as a horror fan, except when it came to video games and Vampire the Masquerade. That was what he was really enamored There with. was, you know, a mix, a curious mix. There's people that had a passing interest in some horror, usually more gentle horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were drama kids. They were drama That was my brother. My people. brother was a big drama kid. Yeah. And uh, and I think it really speaks to that. And, and again, it's like there's so much about the werewolf lore. I remember uh, recently for a couple of birthdays ago, that's what I got him. I got him like a big-ass history book about werewolves sweet yeah so it was pretty fucking cool but this so so like because i feel like this would have really 
I just thought of my very first werewolf. What? Hilarious House of Frankenstein. I am the wolf man. Oh my god, yeah, yes. That's my first that's my first <laughs> werewolf. And so very Canadian. Oh my god, so very Canadian. Yeah. I'm very excited about the wolf man being mentioned. Yeah. So yeah, hilarious house of Frankenstein. That was my first wolf man. Yeah. Yeah. My dad used to tell jokes. I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right now. My dad's friend Terry did that at our cottage one time and just howled at the end of the dock. I was like, it must have been just that generation. <laughs> it is that generation. It definitely is. It was Wolfman Jack. Yeah. That's what it is. Inspired a whole bunch of drunk, bad joke dads. Yeah. Anyway. This film didn't like got got adapted like so many king films almost immediately after like two years after oh the publication God. startlingly quickly because i had thought that there would have been years in between but yeah. then thinking you know i would have discovered this when i like about three or four years after it came out and then the movie would have hit and I would have watched it on VHS not long after. I remember being very excited to see this movie once I put two and two together and realized what it was. Mm-hmm. This was far before the world was gripped by Corey fever. Yeah, this is a Corey picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the two Coreys. I was a Corey Feldman fan. Yeah that, yeah, that tracks. And so, but I mean, like, the best thing about the Corys is if you couldn't pick, you always had Lost Boys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I believe they're both in License to Drive as well. Oh, you might be right. I have no idea. But um, now, Corey Haim is in this uh, as uh, the wheelchair bound Ma- uh, Marty. And he's got a wheelchair like you've never seen before. At least I've never seen before. Because it's Hence pr- the name Silver Bullet. Like, it's yeah. not about the Silver Bullet, it mm-hmm. is about his wheelchair. His wheelchair is named Silver Bullet. Yeah. Even before it's the motorcycle. Because even the the, the, the the one beforehand has handles like a motorcycle, but it's basically just like a wheelchair. His second one that Gary Busey, old Uncle Red, builds for him, it's a straight-up most motorcycle. Like, he pops wheelies on it and shit. That was one of the questions uh, that, that Wes had had. Is like, in this day and age, this is supposed to be taking place in the mid to late 70s. Yeah, 1976, I think. Did people have power wheelchairs like this because it's got like his first one has handlebars like a motorcycle yeah and it's like yes and no there there were power wheelchairs they were uh, like rudimentary and super expensive and ultra heavy and totally different than what we have now yeah there's like a steampunk quality to this because it runs on gas yeah this is basically yeah a maker's version of uh, a powered wheelchair that is like taking a lawnmower riding lawnmower and making it a wheelchair because it does run on gas it's a it's a carbureted engine it's yeah. insane and loud and stinky i'm sure oh absolutely because um, totally different than the, the book because it is a power wheelchair in the book but i believe it is battery operated a servo engine kind mm-hmm. of thing like it's not one of these gas powered things that you can't use in a house <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, unless you want everyone to die of, like, carbon monoxide poisoning. But it's a super cool way, you know, to really cheer a kid's day in life up. And it probably has a lot to do with why this particular character doesn't fall into that trope of, okay, he's in a wheelchair, so there must be other things wrong with him, a la Franklin, who just has other things wrong with him, and psoriasis, too. And 
that or the uh, getting bullied, nerdy sort of thing, mm-hmm. or the problem of them being angry and uh, a hermit almost, like in the Sean mm-hmm. Costello's book, the the cartoonist, mm-hmm. and like. It's- and it's not the source. Quad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the source of the horror, like a story like Monkey Shines. Exactly. For example, where, you know, you know, Marty's not getting like a helper monkey that's going to kill him. No. And there's none of these things surrounding him. Instead, Marty's a fairly well-adjusted, a super cool, outgoing, well-liked, popular, and dynamic kid. Mm-hmm. And they don't linger on moments where he seems to miss the fact that he can walk. There's one scene in a baseball diamond where he's watching other kids play. Um, and you can see the look on his face where it's like, you know, if only I could, I wish I could run and, and dive and jump and do all the things that these kids are doing. And then also in that scene, the kids notice him and they're like, Hey, do you want to play? Or do you want to come hang out with us? So again, it's kind of like, yeah, he's not, limited in in any other way except for the fact that he can't walk and also um his mother has a kind of more traditional helicopter parent attitude sort of um in in so much that she doesn't want uh red his uncle really bringing in bad elements around him because of the fact that she feels that she he doesn't understand him, whereas his perspective is there's more to him than the fact that he's in that chair, um, which is a really excellent point, I feel. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and, and that's actually like a, a nice, subtle jab at people who are writing characters who are, who are like this. Not see, like you can have a character that is, uh, you know, disabled in that sense. But, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be their whole character. No, anyone I know that has a wheelchair or any other sort of device to get around is a lot closer to the Marty character than any of these other mm-hmm. bad examples. And maybe not bad examples, because it's all about what you're doing with your creative license as yeah. an author, right? Yeah. Everything, like, characters should fulfill a function and and have a need. And, you know, however you need that character to be... Uh, is up to you. You're the fucking uh, architect of that story. But I suppose, like, if like, just don't. There's less lazy ways to go about it. This yeah. is a really good example about mm-hmm. how you do a care like character that's like, oh, and you made that fucking brilliantly eloquent observation of like a thing that shouldn't walk versus a person who can't yeah. walk on two legs, right? Like that is a really. It's such a simple thing going on between these two main characters like aside from their struggle like i'm gonna eat you because i'm a werewolf and i want to live because i want to live you know and this werewolf uh hunger motherfucker oh my god wasteful yes sometimes i feel like he's just killing them because the first guy when he pelts his head off that's like he didn't even really eat that guy yeah he's like a guy that works for the railroad and it is a decapitation within about 30 seconds we get a wicked decapitation in this movie which is super fun and in the book there is a lot of violence and it's mostly portrayed by the images the imagery is what's very violent Mm. they do mention people being torn to shreds or eviscerated pigs and stuff like that but most of the blood and gore is in the imagery Mm. Uh, same sort of here where like yes the whole town is on alert within about three deaths and people realize what has gone on but we're the ones in our seats that are privy to the real carnage most of the town folk aren't 
seeing this decapitated head or seeing the the crying pregnant girl that was going to commit suicide torn to shreds in her bed. <laughs> yeah. I guess she has like a love child or something like that. It's uh, pretty, pretty interesting. You want to know what that scene just made me think of? Uh, the fact that she basically had like a glossy 8x10 of her boyfriend who impregnated her on her desk. I'm like, people don't do that anymore. Like, <laughs> like... I, people, everyone's got their photos on their phones or their laptops or tablets or something like that. But it's like, you know, I don't have like a fucking, like basically a fucking headshot that I can give you, Lydia, my dear friend, so you can just have like a giant ass picture of me on your <laughs> mantle. Like a uh, nice um, Laura Palmer. We have a little bit of a Laura Palmer going on out there. We can't really tell that it's her. <laughs> but yeah. People had pictures of Laura Palmer all over the place, it seemed, in Twin Peaks. Yeah, people just don't do that anymore. It's true. Yeah. Especially if this... I was like, so this guy's having your love child. Is he, like, a boyfriend? Or is he some dude you're cheating on? And if that's the case, isn't that a little weird that you just have this giant... It's like a big photo. Yeah. Framed in a gold frame that you have sitting... Anyway, that was very creepy. She's definitely a weird stalker. You know, that's going to be a fatal attraction kind of scenario. It's like if she would have lived. She's like, oh, this photo, this just came with the frame. I just haven't changed it yet. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> now, in the the book, that happens in February, so that's the Valentine's oh, sort of thing, massacre type yeah, thing. Very, very sad. Um, but in this film it serves a purpose because they're going to be talking about suicide again later on in the story yeah and the reverend draws parallels between suicide and and god's will and what is a sin and what saves people from sin and what part he has to play in all of that uh, a very interesting wording that he used death of the body but not like the death of the soul that is what he's drawing the distinction of mm-hmm. and really treating people as meat, but in by releasing them from their form and that's steeped in Catholicism, oh, that completely. idea of like flesh and spirit and spirit made manifest to it because this whole idea about like gods and us, our spirits need to like become flesh so they can suffer so we can understand suffering because that's what Catholicism is about. Um and strangely you can't get into heaven with tattoos and piercings. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, we'll talk I, about suffering. We know suffering. But that's why Pinhead is an angel of the sun. Yeah. Old... Demon to others. Exactly. So this was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. The and, and in a in a way where we watched the mist and I was listening to like a religious person talk and I was becoming You are grating your teeth. Grating my teeth like I almost tore up your sofa. Uh this time I'm like, yeah, this is fucking cool and it's funny how the 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 the, uh, this uh a reverend you see throughout the story and he looks fairly normal and and well to do Uh, you pointed out to me which i didn't even fucking realize that he's dad from people under the stairs yeah he is and he's also ed in twin peaks where his wife has a eye patch yeah instead of him which is kind of neat all this eye patchery going on around mm-hmm. this guy uh yeah he does a really good job here a really menacing job here too so you can sort of see what sowed the seeds of dad yes because once he we have this once these deaths are occurring and the town is on high alert 
and we don't know who's doing it. They're like rallying up posse's oh, and my. shit. And probably the only like the one of the more annoying via v the most atmospheric scenes in this movie when they're having a town hall meeting in the bar. Yeah. And talking about basically becoming like a mob and they're talking about mob justice and mm-hmm. I, I believe they were calling it personal justice or something like that yeah and and rallying together all these yokels basically yeah. and they're the being yokels told, is right yeah they're being told by the cop like i may not be jag or hoover but around here i'm the law and it reminded me so much of like twitter versus the rcmp right now with this uh, 10 day now 10 day fugitive manhunt across canada for mm. these two teens that have killed or probably killed three people at least or i don't know what proof they have that they killed any of them so you know but i'm not the cops and i'm perfectly fine like a lot of people in this town probably sitting back being like go get them cops i'm not the cops you hunt down the killer right it's literally your job yeah instead you got all all these fucking yokels with their guns they don't know what the fuck they're doing you point out they don't know what they're after yeah that's the most buck wild thing to me they like people some people are suggesting that it's a guy it's a killer i'm like okay so you have someone that's that's randomly killing people now the big thing that triggers everybody some deaths can be ruled as coincidence there was a blatant murder of that pregnant woman but marty's friend uh, and that's when, like, I don't know if like, it's just because, like, a nerdy bald dad shows up. Like, like the, that whole sequence reminded me so much of Black Christmas. I don't know why. Uh, probably that element. But, and, and then, and then you have these intense scenes in, in the bar. And again, I, like, I know that, uh, you know, Stephen King did a pass at the script, and this is obviously based off his, uh, novelette. But, uh, but it's all these interactions between these characters seem so real. And I know I say this every time, but the small town shorthand that is just in full effect in these sequences. And, 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 uh, when the, uh, Marty's friend's father is, is doing his monologue, I'm just like, man, like this guy's acting his ass off in this scene. Like he's so intense and it's so compelling. And I think these small town characters, everything from like Marty's, a girlfriend's father like like drinking his stubbies and watching professional wrestling and that. shitty fucking almost racist and bigot fucking attitudes oh yeah for sure but like about it, it's just it's so of a piece and you so get that character down just visually i think that's a problem of modern writing i think this was one of our problems with the strangers too was everyone's really similar everyone's only a shade away in their own little venn diagrams of what these people are and now and here we got some very different people we got like superpower drunks we got fun drunks and gary Busey's character in red we got uh, a, a basically like mute dad do mm-hmm. you see these kids dads yeah, like yeah. he's in a few scenes. He drives a car. <laughs> Marty and his sister Jane, who has like a really this whole thing's narrated through her perspective. Yeah, it's like I always remember that summer of '76 when a bunch of people died, and I think Marty might have too because <laughs> of the way that she's talking about him. But but yeah, like there's entire sequences where there's full on conversations, and everyone in the car has dialogue except for the dad. Yeah, the dad is like. 
I don't know, mute or something. It's very strange. He, he just pays bills, I guess. But he just pays bills and, and is an architect. Yeah. Probably. The mom is like the super strict helicopter mom mm. that's always full of fucking worry. And, you know, every the, the cop is a very different person than everyone else in the town. He seems yeah. very straight-laced, but very understanding and very even-keeled, mm. where you get some of these guys with guns or the, the bartender that stomps around town with a fucking baseball bat yelling... At everyone all the time, apparently. People are really afraid nowadays to write characters like this. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, a philosophy in in comics that I go for very hard, and it is it is that subtlety has no place in comics. That is, so if you want to make a point with a character or with a plot point, don't obscure it. Just do it. Do the character. If you want to make a reprehensible drunk, make a reprehensible drunk. Yeah, and so that should extend to all forms of fiction, I yeah. feel. Yeah. Because because look at these characters and look how they jump from the page yeah. and on off the screen. You totally get from visually to how the people are acting to the lines that they're saying, you get what this character is. You know, it's like here's a little straight laced mustache guy, and he's got like a little cardigan on, and you're like, okay, I get it. That's probably he probably works at the bank. And then you have this other guy. He's like, oh, that guy definitely drives a tractor. Yeah. Oh, this guy is a gardener. This person's the cop. Like, they're all, you know, they're all of these uh, pieces, and and it all works together as this mishmash of different types of characters sitting in a bar. Whereas like everyone's wearing flannel and jeans. And the, uh, the, the, the the room, everything's wood. So you need to have these characters pop. Otherwise, it's just a bland scene with a bunch of people that all kind of look the same, you know? So you have to make sure that, you know, this guy's pit stains are extra yellow because you need to know that he's a degenerate. Yeah. That's the stuff that I like. Yeah, I like that too. I like that a lot too. And it's... Be, they all look very different. They talk very different. They yeah. act very different. They all smell very different. Yeah, there's, so, an, yeah. there's an odor to them. There is something really, really cool about that. And this scene grates on me only because it is a lot of all of a sudden action for not a lot of a reason, but then it leads into, they didn't need to do all of that to lead into the scene they're going into. And it even yeah. has like a very almost cartoonish car chase in a way when they all pile up to the woods to chase fucking boogeyman basically because mm-hmm. they don't know what the fuck they're after they no or idea. where i yeah. guess they're just going around the park where his Be- son died and when they encounter this werewolf because they do it's like so do they think it's an animal now but now it's like it's from a different movie isn't it it's fully like of course it's different lighting because they're not in a bar anymore but no. there's mist and it's pulling up around mm-hmm. their legs and there's like dark spooky atmosphere oh, it looks like something that was drawn from like an ec comic or it looks like something that universal would have done 30 years ago completely there's something in the mist there is something in the mist and there really is and this time it's a werewolf and yeah. this this scene borders borders on slapstick so hard it's fascinating especially with the two hunters which sort of look like ernest p warrell and udo kier if you can imagine them ever being the udo kier guy gets his leg caught in a bear trap and then they go to undo the bear trap and then the bear trap snaps shut again and yeah. it is very slapstick and and there's a sequence in which you know like the the the, the bartender uh he's got the peacemaker bat and there's a scene where he's gets dragged down, 
repeatedly beats the werewolf, and then now the werewolf's got the bat, and then the werewolf starts beating it. I was like, this is like a fucking National Lampoon scene or something like that. Yeah. And, and and I don't dislike it. It's just I could see some of the criticisms that I read about this uh, film, because I haven't seen this movie since I was like 11 or 12 years old. I don't remember exactly when. But around in and around those years, the werewolf years, and I remembered... Uh, I didn't remember it being so funny in some senses. And that's this scene in particular stands out to me as almost as if they were just doing a comedy. Especially when one guy pops up from the mist covered in blood and he basically is a blow-up doll. Yeah, it does not look very convincing. Not that everything needs to. It's just in this case, it really did not look Mm -hmm. convincing. (laughs) So it made it double funny. Yeah, and you're just like, "Okay, okay, I guess. Meanwhile, meanwhile, like you got like a fucking old married couple bickering and like I can't move. Are you gonna make a lemonade in your pants? Yeah, I'm so, not scared. Yeah, yeah. so it, but the body count here. The when you really count, think yeah. about it. And the body count throughout the town is actually pretty remarkable. And this seems to be taking place over a relatively short period of time. We're not entirely clear, but what I do know is that <laughs> is that this gives way to a fascinating fucking sequence. Uh the werewolf dream sequence. Yes. Which doesn't really give away, although we've already ruined the ending for you, doesn't entirely give away because there have been numerous funerals. The priest, the reverend, he is overworked, definitely. Mm. He has this vision of having this mass funeral and everyone in the congregation starts to twitch out a little bit and they're... uh, angry and agitated and then they all begin turning into werewolves and the fucking stained glass windows blow in and everyone's transforming and they all come at him and it's a town of werewolves and yeah. then the reverend wakes up from this nightmare yeah. this is where it kind of reminds you of a cross between one of the howling sequels and perhaps uh, a zombie film like day of the dead or something mm-hmm. with those uh fish-eyed camera angles and and the Dutch tilts and all the weird stuff that they're doing during the transformation. But when he wakes up, you have a pretty good idea. He's like, well, one guy in this town is dreaming about werewolves, but why would that be? Because nobody literally has any idea that it's a werewolf. This is where this film shifts really dramatically, in my opinion, from a story about that definitely has Jane and Marty introduced and and Uncle Red and stuff like that introduced at the beginning. And then it veers off into... It's a lot of adults. It's a lot of townsfolk. It's a lot of people trying to figure out what is going on. Sheriffs and people arguing and shit like that. And we lose track of Marty and, and particularly Sister Jane for a little while. And then the movie changes back to, well, we're, it's a it's a kid's movie. Now it's The Gate. Now it's Monster Squad. Now it's a film in which kids are the primary focus and that kids know a truth that, 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 uh, that perhaps the only other adult would be the cool uncle or the local idiot or someone who everyone underestimates will be the adult that goes along with the kids because I suppose what you need to be is to have a shifted perspective because adulthood bangs all that out of you and when you say werewolves to a rational adult they won't have that but when you say to a kid werewolf kids are like yeah werewolves because oh, they yeah yeah that's how come kids that's like, how it was Stephen King it's a, it's a formula of his to yeah, a certain extent sure. it's usually like one or two tuned in adults and in this particular book they uh, there's no tuned in adults until way later 
Mm -hmm. when it's almost too late, which works well for this movie. In the book, though, it's the uncle and Marty against Mm -hmm. the world. So Jane's not... No, nope, she's not this. part of this at all. They made her a much bigger character in the film, which is good because she's played by the uh, same girl that played Anne Shirley from Anne of Green Gables, a little Canadian actress. Oh. Megan Follows. Wow. Yeah. Anne of Green Gables. There's something that I haven't fucking heard of in a minute. No, I used to watch that quite regularly as a kid, and I wouldn't have. I didn't even know it was her until looking at uh, Wikipedia told me so. We had so many of those Anna Green books. I never read the... I read the first book. I never read anything else. I read the Lucy Mom Montgomery book, and then I watched the show. The show was great, so, yeah. And Canadian, right? So it was all that was really got on country cable. Mm. But, yeah, Megan Follows does a really good job as the sister in this, and I'm glad that she has a bigger role for the film, anyway. Because in the book, she's just like, oh, Marty, you always get what you want, because you're crippled. And they throw the word cripple around a lot in this film and quite a bit in the book. But they do paint that one girlfriend of Marty's father as just the most horrible person. Yeah. Worst attitude. Yeah, he's got some pretty rednecky type (sighs) attitudes towards the differently abled. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very dated. Oh Um, extremely extremely you know. but I suppose, again, if you're painting the picture of a reprehensible person, yeah. that's something that someone like that would say, I guess. Yeah. You know? And this is also written at a time, so you can't fault it. You can fault that character, but you can't fault the rest of the book or the movie for using words that you may not choose to use these days because at the time, that was a perfectly acceptable word, and to some people still is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, when the shift happens, I think that the movie... Um, when it's when it's trying to figure out how to get rid of a werewolf, most people tend to agree how you do that. Um, wormwood. But, yeah. Yeah, wormwood. When you, when you, uh, I think this is like another element that I think is really fascinating about this film, and there's a there's a mythic element to how the this sequence is written uh and we'll get to it but i think the silver bullet is something that um it really fascinates me about werewolf lore in general um but before that before they even acquire it before they even really need to do any of this type of shit marty is going to have a late night encounter yeah they've canceled the fourth of july which reminds me a little bit how they want to move halloween right now I don't know how you feel about that, but they want to move Halloween, Wes. They want to move it to the weekend so people can party more? I can't. Why now, when Halloween has fallen on weekdays before, plenty of times? When they've totally destroyed Halloween anyway, and trick-or-treating isn't basically allowed in a lot of places, and Halloween is basically not allowed, and Halloween is for slutty bunny costumes in most people's lives. Sex Christmas. Sex Christmas. So now they want to move it to Saturday, yeah, so you can party, whatever. So, oh, so that we have time to spend with the children. That's not what it's about either at all. So, So for the same reason that they fucking cancel Halloween for moral panic and people poisoning children with fucking razors in the candy apples or whatever or like Tylenol and your smarties um, they want to cancel 4th of July fireworks because this maniac is, is killing town folk and Marty really likes fireworks 
they need a stronger mayor that has more than one scene that just shows up. It's like, you got any leads? You need the mayor from Jaws to be like, it's the goddamn 4th of July and those beaches will be open. Yeah, that's what they needed for Marty's sake. Instead, Marty has his Uncle Red to not only soup up Silver Bullet into more than just a riding lawnmower attached to a wheelchair. It's basically a motorcycle now. Yeah. Do you think it's fucked up that Marty, like, seemingly best friend got brutally murdered and his girlfriend has had to leave town now because her father was murdered and he seems more bummed out about the fireworks. Like, I, like I'm, there's no way that that... Like, I don't think he really talks about the fact that his friend died. Like, he just kind of sits there quietly at the funeral because I guess what are you supposed to say or do? But, yeah. like, and I'm not saying he needs, like, a big dramatic scene like, obviously, his friend's father did. But, like, he does seem very petulant about these fireworks. And and, and, and and I thought that Red was going to say something like, so let me get this straight. It's like, your best friend died. And yeah, your best girl, she had to leave town. Uh, and there's no fireworks. And, he, and, and Marsh is like, yeah, no fireworks. And I thought like he was going to like knock some sense on me. He's like, oh no, don't worry, kid. I got this motorcycle for you. That motorcycle was- and some fireworks. And some fireworks. I'm just like... I guess, like, there's an element where, like, the fireworks would... He's like, I want to be a kid, and I want to have, like, my ultimate summer. I'm like, Well, they can't change the other things. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Why get said about things can't change, Wes? Lids, I don't know if this (laughs) really counts, though. Yeah, sure it does. What's he going to do? Bring his best friend back to life? Go Go and truck his girlfriend back to live with him or something? He's 10. So, you know, he can't change these things. It just seems a little shitty and fucked up. Yeah, it does seem really <laughs> shitty and fucked up. And it's almost like his uncle's reminding him that he should be in a bad mood and needs some cheering up because he doesn't seem to be in that bad of a mood anyway. Mm-hmm. His uh, Gary Busey plays his uncle. I think we mentioned that already, but if we hadn't, that's the person. And if you, I mean, Gary Busey is a very uh, flamboyant actor and he. Mm-hmm really choose the scenery on these things because when he he's like cartoonishly drunk but not a dick he's like a happy fun i'm a, I'm a cool guy i'm wearing a hawaiian shirt all the time i'm that uncle and he just throws money around like insane i don't know what he's supposed to be but he's on his third wife his second bottle and his like 15th credit card exactly it's that type of shit and but and he seems to be a pretty good mechanic so like maybe he's a mechanic i think he's more like an engineer Something like yeah, that. There's something beyond mechanic going on here. But uh, once he encounters this, once Marty encounters this were- uh, werewolf and hits him in the eye with a rocket, well, mm-hmm. now it's time. So he's blinded the werewolf, and they know, the kids know, because no one else would believe them, there's going to be a one eyed man somewhere in town, because mm-hmm. that is the werewolf that he blinded with firework. Some lore has werewolves the ability to regenerate once they transform. But this is not one of those cases. In the book, the Reverend doesn't know why he lost his eye. He doesn't know what happens when he blacks out. He knows that he transforms into some sort of beast. He hears the talk around town, puts two and two together, but he does not know who did this to him. No idea. Which is fucking great in the book. It really works out really well in the book, especially when the kids start sending him letters begging him to kill himself. Mm -hmm. Because that happens in both 
iterations of the story uh, because the the sister who in the movie is in cahoots goes around town on a bottle drive keeping an eye out no pun intended for the guy with an eye out and she encounters him Mm -hmm. in a very creepy scene only creepy because of what we know about some of our uh, preachers and pastors and stuff these days it would be vaguely creepy then too but not to the extent it is now with the news unfolding as it does year by year of what sort of atrocities have gone on in the catholic system as far as men and boys so back then i mean there was pedophiles and people would have a vague idea or speak in hushed tones about everything was very taboo but they would know basically who to stay away from but not understand why the scout leader wasn't couldn't be a predator you know, it was still shocking to people, or it was still, was still shocking to people that priests but he might loves be creepy. Children. Well, so does this reverend. Man, he uh, is backing her into this uh, shed uh, because she has discovered the baseball bat, the peacemaker. Yeah, the baseball bat is buried in bottles in the bottle drive shed on the property of the priest and he is yeah back here into the corner super menacing one-eyed priest creepy as shit and saying things like oh are you tired why don't you come in the parlor and lay down how about i drive you home and like trying to get with her i guess like in a way but not in the sexual way but it still comes across as that way to our minds now in the year of our lord 2019 The year of our rapey, rapey lord. So rapey, God. Seems very rapey. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not written as rapey, but it comes across and, that way. And I, I think you could also just say, well, I know that he's the werewolf, and so this is scary because he's the werewolf. These sequences are actually genuinely tense yeah. scenes, and it's all Everett McGill's performance as the Reverend. It's so tense and so menacing. Like he, seems it's a character like that would seem intimidating to an adult but to a child who he looms over missing his eye and the second he now has an eye patch the fucking guy looks like a crazy villain out of an exploitation movie or something the way that that he's lit too and the fact that he is slowly losing his grip right and he's like got five o'clock shadow now more disheveled and And it's sweatier sweatier yeah generally dark circles under his eyes the eye patch definitely the way his collar is misplaced here and there which is really good as far as subtle cues but he is lit so fantastically from beginning to end in this movie starting out with like lit in a brightly lit pastoral clean cut way and then progressing into this where he's like you know sort of almost backlit and he's got lit the side lighting kind of been some price stuff going on till later when he is basically Charles Manson crawling out of the fucking cupboard right yeah yeah it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. It's a wonderful performance, and his second uh, fantastic performance in this film is when he Marty tries to get his uncle to understand. Jane seems to get it right away, and that saves us some time. I feel like it's that's probably what it was like. We didn't really really see that conversation. It was just kind of like, and I believed him. Um, why though? But 
Especially since, like, we, it's, Jane's a hard chick to get a beat on. Like, you can't tell if she really likes her brother or... No, she acts like she doesn't, like, she's a, he's a real thorn in her side and sort of, like... Jealous and, he, oh, he, Marty gets everything. Like, you're pretending, like, things are my fault all the time when, you know, Marty just is never held responsible. Because... And he gets anything that he wants because he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. That's her attitude of many times through this yeah. film. Until this point where they sort of bond over this thing like it's us against the entire town because no one believes us yeah and trying to get the cool uncle to believe which he doesn't at first but then there's an element which uh, i was like oh okay that's i guess you believe them now or at the very least the preacher is the problem because the his, the fucking reverend tries to run him off the fucking road tries to run him off the road in his motorcycle wheelchair and it sounds ludicrous, but it is a pretty tense scene when he's like racing yeah. around these dirt roads with this fucking werewolf priest chasing him. To, to be fair, if I were to criticize anything about this scene, and you made this comment, and I agree with you, while we were watching it, it's the music bleeds all the tension out of that. Yeah, it's sequence. really cartoony and hokey, and Just, it is. It's it's so bombastic. It really reminds me not to like bring up Jaws again, but. Um, it reminds me of the problems with John Williams' score in Jaws, in which any time that anything tense could possibly be happening, and I'm including the Jaws theme song in this, like it just I that I'm sorry, John Williams cannot write a score for a horror film. He can't. Yeah. And that chase sequences in that movie seemed adventurous. I'm like watching E.T. or Indiana Jones or something like that. I'm not watching something that's supposed to be scary and tense. You have a sequence here. I I'm, know I'm, John Williams didn't write the score, but you have a sequence here in which a fucking crazed reverend with an eye patch in his truck is trying to run the fuck over a 10-year-old boy in a fucking wheelchair. Fucking grindhouse is shit. Exactly. And meanwhile, you have this like like shit going on. I'm like, okay, well. Might as well put the Danger Bay theme song there too. <laughs> I put it at the end of the episode. I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, when when uh, he gets stuck out of fuel at, on this bridge where you, he the, the Reverend can't bring his car because it's so rotten. It's like a demolished bridge. So it's yeah. like boarded up on each end. It's, You're not supposed yeah. to go in there, yeah. but he could fit in there and it's dark it's and everything. It's like the Sleepy Hollow type like yeah. enclosed bridge um and this is where the reverend has this amazing sequence where he gives the speech about the death of the body versus the uh, freeing of the soul and how sin his interpretation of sin and his interpretation of of him being an instrument of god's mission and and i'm i'm glued to the screen i'm like this is great stuff Marty's out of gas in his motorcycle and he starts yelling for this farmer that he knows that he just yeah. sees on the other end of the bridge. <laughs> I like how the Reverend just sort of makes his exit, sort of slinks out the other end and into his car and pulls away. And the farmer peers in, he's like, Hey, is that you, Marty? Pretty spooky in there, isn't it? <laughs> That's such a great line. Pretty spooky, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's super spooky. It's it's so fucking good. But again, like this is a dude that we haven't like like Marty knows him because it's a small town and mm -hmm. this guy knows Marty. That was when you were talking about that sort of shorthand. This was a sort of scene where we don't need to know. He doesn't say, "Hi, I'm Farmer Drake from down the road. You know me." Yeah. You know he doesn't. We don't need any of that. We have that small town shorthand. But yeah. uh, 
This leads to the reason why their Uncle Red does believe them because he's like, and the priest is a werewolf and he's chasing me in his car and he ran me off the road and then I was in the covered bridge and then he had this thing about suicide and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, listen to yourself, you're crazy. Until he goes around the back of the wheelchair motorcycle thing, silver bullet, we'll just call it silver silver bullet, bullet, and sees paint scrapings from being run off the road by a blue car and he asks what color the reverend's car is it's blue so he's like oh shit there is some truth to this kid's story Mm -hmm. so now i'm gonna believe that the reverend did run him off the road it have to domino effect back to he's a werewolf yeah he goes to the sheriff and the conversation is pretty believable i like that he's like i'm not wearing my hawaiian shirt for this one i'm wearing my suit jacket yeah and he tells the story in full to the to the sheriff and the sheriff is like do you believe all this you know red doesn't respond he's like you do don't you and then red says the most practical thing where he's like i think that the i believe that the reverend should be checked out that's what i believe 100 percent, and that's what sends the sheriff there and this sequence is cool too because the sheriff like notices the paint on the reverend's car and then when we see the reverend holy shit mm. this guy like i'm not saying that you would think that this guy is a werewolf but you would think that this guy has fucking just murdered somebody yeah. look at him he looks deranged like grindhouse is fuck like like that is like he may as well have like a sawed off shotgun or something like that he's that grindhouse looking and it's like something it's that fucking richard ramirez <laughs> that's what he looks like everyone looks like richard ramirez when they get to this point to me right it's yeah. true oh it's like fucking um uh that movie father's day with the guy with the eye patch yeah. And shit. yeah um that also has a fucking preacher in that too but um you know you have uh you have uh this sequence in which he can partially transform even though it's not a full moon and they bring up the point later that it was like, oh, maybe this the full moon makes him like makes him wolf out more. Yeah. But he can partially transform at least a little bit enough to like I don't know if he needs werewolf strength to kill this guy with a baseball bat, but he uses the broken off piece of the peacemaker. See, this is the conversation we had had while watching it, and highlights the difference between the story as written and the story as filmed, because cycle of the werewolf he wolfs out once a month to the full moon and you would ask well how long is a full moon thinking like a couple days and it's like technically a couple hours Mm -hmm. really that's when the moon is full like he could be an asshole about it and be like okay scientists astronomers how long is the moon full like four minutes or something like how long is the moon really full that's what is the sound of one hand clapping this is a zen cone we need like neil degrasse tyson to jump on twitter with his holier than thou space tweets Mm -hmm. and just be like oh actually people or an actual werewolf then we could just be like how long do you wolf out for but then the theory of well you could progressively wolf out more and more each day Mm -hmm. leading up to the full moon and then taper off as does the moon itself right so that seems to be lore that's mm-hmm. that has permeated the culture because i know a lot of modern films they don't adhere very strictly to the full moon aspect the full moon it seems to be when a werewolf is at their uh zenith they're most powerful but uh and i think they, they do that because for some reason maybe people have it in their heads that it's less scary if if it's not every day like it's like if they, if someone can't be a werewolf every day, they're only dangerous for like a a day and a month. 
uh, they're just like, oh, it's not as scary. They need to be able to do it. Well, they make it pretty scary. It's like a little werewolf for it. They yeah. are only werewolf one day and one like one night a month. And mm-hmm. there's a story oh, actually that. in one of the postscripts to Darkness that uh, has to do with werewolves, and it's fantastically told. I really fucking love the story, and I'll, I'll have to come up with maybe I'll put on Twitter what the story is and which uh, volume of postscripts to Darkness it's in, but. It is, like, literally a couple hours every month. Never underestimate the effectiveness uh, and tension that can be created with death-by-appointment tropes. I yeah. mean, that's why The Ring was so popular, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, you you can you can use this element to great effect if you so choose. I just think that, like, for some reason, modern audiences perhaps... Uh, people believe when they're creating these films and stories these days perhaps it's a little misguided but they would say they want that relentlessness of it to 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 be maintained because this is not clear the only thing that's clear is that eventually when they go to fight the werewolf because by the way marty is like okay so you went to go get the the sheriff involved and the sheriff went to go check out the reverend and now he's gone and no one knows where he is so what do you fucking think happened exactly, exactly. so then poof it's halloween thanks to a voiceover by jane and the magic of cinema the magic of cinema and also speaking of magic of cinema and the mythic quality of of werewolves and shit they melt down their pendants they each had both jane and marty had he had a medallion she, probably saint christopher's or something mm, saint michael's mm-hmm. she had a crucifix and uh, there's something a very beautiful and poetic about using religious uh, artifacts to that are made of silver to attack uh, a werewolf shoot a priest of, yeah, to shoot a priest who happens to <laughs> be reverend that keeps saying a reverend, you, reverend. you know we, they get it yeah. um I've, I've been fucking that up too but uh to shoot someone, a man of the cloth, who is also a werewolf and shit. It's perfect. It's very perfect. And also this sequence of uh, when they handed the stuff to Gary Busey, or Red, I should say, my initial question, I was like, okay, I can believe that this guy is good with his hands, but are they trying to suggest that Red is just going to melt down and make a bullet? You have to know how to do that. Luckily, Luckily. the magic of uh, Hollywood and writing and small townishness, small townishness, you encounter uh, the the old wizened expert who works at a gun shop who not only knows how to make bullets, but he can melt this down and make a silver bullet for you, craft it. And this is like this is like Hattori Hanzo creating the katana. This is. This is like mythic crafting of legendary weaponry. And he even has the line, I would say that this is my finest work. And I was like, oh my God, this is like Hattori Hanzo saying, if during your journey, you should encounter God, God would be cut. That is an epic fucking line about this goddamn bullet you just made. It truly is. And, and watching it as a kid, I was like, oh, sure, go on. Like, you can just make bullets. But, but then I met somebody who made their own... Uh, fishing lures and not just like tying flies but like made lead and stuff and melted down lead and I got to see them do it and how quick and easy it really is and them showing it on this screen as this like montage of making this bullet 
it's truly that quick and easy when you have all those tools. I loved that. The sequence where they make the bullet is fucking gorgeous. And again, I was I was comparing it to our friends, the vampires, that have a lot of fucking weaknesses. You could just say sunlight, decapitation, stake through the heart. And yes, in sometimes vampire films, you'll have people with like a garlic clove around their neck, like, like whittling stakes. But the care, like you need... Or the vampire saying, none of that stuff works. You watch too many movies. Exactly, but this sequence to watch just like this elderly man's hands just craft this bullet is so beautiful, and it really shows you. Like I was like, this really is putting such a fine point on it to me about the effort that it would take. This one thing is going to work on this werewolf. This one thing, and this is how you make it. And you got one, and that's it. And I loved this. The the everyone forgets wormwood. Apparently, wormwood works. Yeah. Um, werewolves too. i keep forgetting about it yeah. but like you have um you have this and then you know red's line to this guy is like oh you know he's likes the lone ranger so you know what what like well, this is just for fun like well what are you gonna do with a silver bullet and the guy's just like Sh- werewolf shoot a werewolf with it yeah. like and i was like oh man he's like a mystical a mystical man that knows something, I feel like. He also lives in this town where more than one person is probably being like, do you think it's a fucking werewolf? Yeah, exactly. And, and and even though there is an element of like, oh, come the fuck on. Like this random old man shows up to like, here's your MacGuffin. Like, but now I'm just like, no, this is the fantasy element. This is, it's like a fairy tale. Yeah. And yes, of course, this, this may as well have just been like, just as you needed it, a wizened old man just like rode into town. Better than any library scene. Exactly. This totally works for me. Mm-hmm. And so like, I fucking love the sequence and it, it culminates to like, to like something that I would say is pretty anticlimactic when you think about it. But at the end of the day, you just need to shoot this thing in the mush. So you don't really need to, but good thing, good thing that the parents are going out of town because you have this quiet dad just like toddling out of the house with like eight, seven, 87 fucking suitcases. And bring mom, bring something out of the car as they pull out of the driveway because I guess the uncle had said, you know, it's going to be a full moon. We know what's going to happen, kids. We're going to have to, I'll take care of the kids on Halloween and keep them safe, I guess, in his mind, or like make sure they don't shoot one another with a goddamn silver bullet or don't involve the parents who might just get in the way and get killed. Yeah. Yeah. So it works out really well on all counts and we get a little bit of a Halloween movie. A little bit. We could have saved this for Halloween. There was a pumpkin. There was a pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> the hint of Halloween. Um, but you know what? The the craft stores nowadays are getting their uh, ha- Halloween decorations in already. So we're right on time, I feel. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. When Gary Busey is shouting at the kids that he's starting to think that they're just seeing things. Because like, the werewolf is here, the werewolf is here. And he takes the silver bullet out of the gun. Like, okay, this is it. The gig is up. You know what? I'm starting to think that this is all just in your minds and your all overactive imaginations. There's no werewolf. And it's super tense for us because we saw the werewolf too. And yeah. he's standing there with a gun and no bullet in it. And when shit goes down... That taking the bullet out of the gun was going to probably be the, his worst fucking mistake because, like tiny weapons that your GI Joes held in their delicate fingers, 
or uh, the, the accessories that came with Ninja Turtles. Like, when would you ever put those shurikens in their hands? They can't hold them. The little grate on the on the floor swallows that bullet. The only toys that I ever had that really equate are shoes for Barbie dolls. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but and I like when they're reaching into the vent, you see like a, a little marble and shit. I'm like, yeah, that's the type of shit that's always in those vents. Uh, particularly uh, the one in the vent, the little vent that we had in my bedroom. Like, man, there was like all kinds of stuff you could see that were just way down there. At the place I lived before, um, they had those old-fashioned, big old wrought iron vents, yeah. and I would just lift them out every so often and clean all inside there. But yeah, I guess people don't typically do that. The one in my bedroom couldn't come out. The one in my sister's could, though. Yeah, good, smart, and it's nice to be able to clean that. Like, it would be nice if they would have just been able to pull this one out instead of having to wrestle with that tension of trying to reach his hand down to mm-hmm. get the bullet because Marty saw, what, luckily, where the bullet went, mm-hmm. flopped himself out of his chair onto the floor and was handed the gun so him and his sister have the gun and he's trying to reach the bullet while this werewolf is throwing gary Busey around or whatever stuntman around the room in a really good scene actually it's it's pretty cool the only thing is is it kind of you know it's always it's a shot right it's one shot mm-hmm. uh fucks him up in the other eye yeah takes the other eye out which is really fantastic yeah, it's really cool, and and it, yeah, I was like, you know what? Even if you didn't kill him, I mean, you did blind him. Yeah, now you got a blind werewolf running around. That's fine. Maybe he'll become like a town pet. There you go. I'm like, oh, there goes Wolfie. Yep, Reverend. See you later, Wolfie. Ha ha ha! Making <laughs> blind jokes to the blind werewolf. <laughs> it was the '80s. You could still do blind jokes. Would he still change if you can't see the full moon? Is it is it the moonlight hitting his eyes that make werewolves change? No, well, I don't know. Is it the the light hitting the eyes that make all the other psychotics in the actual world go kind of crazy when there's a full moon, or is it the magnetic pull on the water that makes up most of our bodies? It's like you can just see better, so people go out more. I think so too. Um, but no, yeah, he does. There's one last hurrah. When when the the I like the the D transformation sequence. They spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, they do. They do good with the multi layered effects here too, and it uh, looks very very good. In fact, for a reversal scene, very nice. And then, oh, they're gonna make it after all. We'll find that out through narration. <laughs> Which I want to know what they're gonna, what are they gonna do with a dead priest in their house or. What are they going to do with a dead reverend in their house? They have a dead reverend in their house. Yeah. They shot him in the eye. There's no proof that he was a werewolf. And there's no proof that he killed anyone. I suppose it'd be like, well, he, he had, he's got a scuff on his car and a baseball, broken baseball bat in his, I mean, maybe they'll find the sheriff's body or something. I don't know. Maybe there's heads in the freezer for all we know. Or but a little bit of werewolf fur stuck maybe. on the window or that wall that he walked through like a Jason Voorhees. He did. Um... But and like Jane's last dialogue is just like she they say that they Marty and her say like they love each other. And he's like, I never could really say it uh, to him, but I could back then. And I was like, and then you said, like, is he dead? And then she says, good night, Marty. Good night, Marty. What the fuck? Good night, Marty. And <laughs> she smothers him out. She's like, good night, Marty. What the hell? Did, did he go to the chair, like that, the, the electric chair for killing? 
the reverend is this what we're getting like i don't know what they mean by the good night marty that was just very fucking strange writing very fucking strange very strange writing as particularly if this story took place in 1976 and you can assume that it's being told to you when that film was released in 1985 that means that in the span of nine years something happened to marty where she was because because the way that it's like, and by the way lady you're like 25 now like why like, isn't a old lady of 25 <laughs> recollecting as i rock in my chair and think about my poor brother marty and marty's like dude i'm right here oh yeah. good night marty good night marty <laughs> you just finished college <laughs> good night dear marty <laughs> That's what it strikes me as. Like, yeah, she's 20 fucking five, recollecting for whatever reason, and Marty must be dead, or she is Marty's, succumbing to the full moon. Marty's playing fucking Nintendo sitting next to her, like, what? Yeah. Seriously. Very, very strange ending. But all in all, a fantastic film, and a really, like, maybe one of my favorite. Maybe the best werewolf movie ever. Maybe. The best werewolf movie? Well, it's the best werewolf story. I wouldn't fight you. I wouldn't necessarily. Because, like, honestly, when you're thinking of, like, for me personally, I mean, I would go Howling or The the Wolfman. Like, honestly, like, I love that story. Howling's great. I like Dog Soldiers more than The Howling, even. Yeah. Dog Soldiers is a really strong story. The Howling does... I have a hold a certain spot for me because of the journalism angle. Yeah. Definitely in that. And the ending is just so, so touching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, I love this movie. I love I, movie. I like it a lot too. I think it's really strong stuff. It's a really good King adaptation. And I'm happy that we got to watch it because I have not seen this film in years. And I forgot entire chunks of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like I remembered that dude in the, the greenhouse like place. And I remembered the ending. Like I knew who the, the werewolf was, but I didn't really remember too much else about it. So it was like kind of like a trip going back there watching this. Well, I'm glad you also got a chance to see what the graphic novel is all about or the novella, the illustrated novella, because it's not really a graphic novel. I don't know what the hell it is. No, it's, it's very interesting. Very unique. It's uh, I can't believe that this is like from 19, 19- 1983 because it seems somehow more modern i don't know but it, but but again with bernie wrightson's art this whole thing comes off as a fairy tale to me and i think that like that's how come i'm looking at so many fairy tale elements mm-hmm. in this story about how it works uh and it works really really well it's a really cool adaptation so uh, we're gonna head into some more stephen king we're like the stephen king adaptation specialists here <laughs> we are do we know what we have next for them? Are we going to tackle Salem's Lot? Yes. Yes, we are. We are going to tackle Salem's Lot. That's a chunky sit. So we'll do it in a unique way, I think. But uh, yes, because it makes sense that we're going to the, to the most underserved horror creature in cinematic history. The vampire. The neglected <laughs> no one ever writes about vampires. Yeah, it's like vampires and World War II are just these things that no one wants to talk about. Hey, guys, what are you afraid of? That or Kurt Cobain. How come no one ever talks about Kurt Cobain? 
I know. Who is that guy? Well, Stephen King has only ever written about vampires so many times, right? Like with this in the Night Flyer. Mm. And I'm not sure if there's anything else that oh, is slipping my mind right now. You're, but the, like, you're, the, you're the Stephen King expert of the two of us, for well, sure. I haven't even watched Castle Rock. And what's crazy is the sheriff in this plays the, the doctor in Pin, the creepy dad doctor. Yeah. He's in this new Castle Rock show, which I haven't watched yet, because I'm not the Stephen King expert. I'm just some chick. But I would love to watch Castle Rock, because there's a couple other people from other Stephen King films in that show, and I just love the whole Castle Rock lore, right? So I, I really should become the Stephen King expert and watch fucking Castle Rock. But, yeah, um, I can't think of any other vampires that Stephen King has written about, really. But Salem's Lot left its mark on a lot of people the i've never i saw the miniseries but i didn't pay that close attention to it because it didn't strike me the way that the book did but the book was one of the first stephen king novels that i had noticed in the house because my grandmother had one of the first edition uh hardcovers of it Ooh, yeah. yeah very cool very very cool i'm very excited because it's a, a type of vampire that i really enjoy and, um, yeah, it would be a good opportunity to talk about some of the imagery from that film that has really captured people's imaginations over the years. And I think something that doesn't get reviewed as enough because of it's so long. So we're going to yeah. tackle that in our way and maybe throw in some more Stephen King. Who knows? We can do whatever we want. This is our show, Leds. Yep. Mm-hmm. It sure the fuck is. <laughs> I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.